Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God to live the lives we were created to live, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices, and commissioned by God to serve, called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And here at FCBC, this is how we say it. We live, we love, we serve. Amen, family. Listen, I want to lift today, this morning, just one verse. And there's a deeper story to it, but I want to lift, lift this morning just, just one verse from the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, the sixth chapter, 1 Samuel 6, in verse 13. Again, a tremendous narrative story in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 6. And I want to read one verse. There's a larger context to this narrative, and I hope to talk about that this morning. 1 Samuel 6, 13. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version of Scripture. And here's how it reads. Now the people of Beth Shemesh, were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. When they looked up and saw the ark, they went with rejoicing to meet it. Amen. Come on, let's pray. God, we thank you for being a God who redeems us. For the truth is, oh God, we all make mistakes. We do not dot every I. We do not cross every T. And even, oh God, when we have the best of intentions, at times we get in our own way and we fall short. But God, thank you for being a God who can redeem even those missteps that we take, the mistakes we may make. You redeem it in such a way, O oh God, that we're reminded that those misgivings, those mistakes are not lasting over our lives. They do not have the final word, for you are a God who redeems. Thank you, God. For all of us know what it is to see things turn around in our favor, even when we try to sabotage our best intentions. You are a redeemer, God, and we say thank you. God, on this day, those of us who are among the ranks of the redeemed ought to say so. You've been faithful. We ought to tell somebody. You've been kind. We ought to tell somebody. You've made ways in our lives, oh God, in moments that we thought nothing good could arise. 
we ought to tell somebody, thank you. Because every day we rise, you give us new reasons to testify. And we celebrate you today, oh God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for seeing us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for keeping us. Thank you for holding us. Thank you, God. This is our prayer. In your name, we pray. And we say, amen. Amen. Let me read that, that verse again in your hearing. 1 Samuel 6, uh, verse 13. Uh, and it reads this way, beloved. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. When they looked up and saw the ark, they went with rejoicing to meet it. Amen. Amen. This morning, beloved, I want to I want to just speak from this thought. Rejoice at the return. Rejoice at the return. Sometimes we have a tendency to take God's presence for granted. And 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 I know it sounds strange because how can you take God's presence for granted? I mean, if God is who we claim God to be, believe God to be, the one who is with us consistently and constantly, how do you take God for granted? Well, maybe it's not that we take God for granted, but sometimes we can take the relationship for granted. And just because we know that God's presence is enduring in our lives doesn't mean that we should be any less committed to nurturing the relationship between ourselves and God. That's, that may be what taking God for granted means, not actually taking God for granted, but taking the relationship for granted. Or maybe even being so fixated on the benefits of the relationship that we never think about the responsibilities of the relationship. I say that because in 1 Samuel, somewhere around the fourth chapter or so, it, it highlights a very interesting story in the history of God's people, the history of the people of Israel. Israel was preparing to fight the Philistines, and often in Scripture, when you see Israel mustering forces to fight the Philistines. It's not just necessarily about the fight, but those of us who read the story ought to pay attention because it seems that every time Israel fights the Philistines, there's some thread of knowledge that we ought to pay attention to that's not connected to the fight or the Philistines. And in this scene in around the fourth chapter of First Samuel, we see that Israel is preparing to fight the Philistines. Israel is mounted upon one encampment on the hillside and the Philistines were mounted on another encampment on the opposite uh, hillside. And they would do battle in the valley in between the mounted encampments. On this occasion, as the Israelites went to do battle with Philistines, they met in the valley between, and the fighting was fierce. 
when the fighting was over, when the dust settled, the scripture says that Israel lost the battle. They lost the battle and about 4,000 men died on the battlefield that day. The people were overwhelmed. How could this happen? They were God's chosen people. They were the chosen people of God, set aside, consecrated, sanctified as God's people. How could they have lost the battle with God on their side? Someone amongst the ranks of the soldiers of Israel and even some of the elders, people suggest, began to tell the people, the leaders of the army, this is why we lost the battle. We lost the battle because we had the audacity to go into battle without the Ark of the Covenant leading the way. The story was that whenever Israel would go into battle, that they were sure that the priest would lead them into battle. And the priest would be carrying the Ark of the Covenant because the Ark of the Covenant was a symbol of divine presence and divine power and divine privilege. But they went into this fight with the Philistines without the Ark of the Covenant present. And when they had realized their mistake, they sent messengers down to Shiloh at the priest Eli house to get the Ark of the Covenant. Eli sends the Ark of the Covenant back to the encampment of Israel with his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, escorting the Ark of the Covenant. And it was a scene as the people were still licking their wounds from a lost fight against the Philistines. The record said that when Hophni and Phinehas, the, the, the priest's sons, came into the encampment with the Ark of the Covenant, the people let out a mighty shout collectively and you had to see the scene the ark of the covenant enters the encampment of israel and the the scriptures tell us that the ark of the covenant was about about four feet long and about two and a half feet wide and about two and a half feet high and 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 it was made of acacia wood and the acacia wood was overlaid with gold and on each corner of the ark of the covenant were gold rings where the sacred poles would slide through the rings acacia wood poles overlaid with gold because they were the only way you could transport the ark and that the ark of the covenant would be transported on the shoulders of priests and not only was it made of gold overlaying the acacia wood but on the top of the ark of the covenant was what was known as the mercy seat. It was the place where the voice of God would come out, the command of God would come out. And then hovering above the mercy seat were two cherubims with wings outstretched. You have to understand that when that ark entered that encampment, the people shouted because in their mind, God was now present and there was no way they could lose the battle. They go into fight now. And when the Philistines heard the people shout. Terror ran through the Philistine army. They began to murmur among one another. These are God's people. And, and if we're not careful, they will do to us what we heard they did to the people in Egypt long ago. And they were overwhelmed with fear. But the leaders of the Philistine army told the people, be encouraged. We will fight in spite of the fear. And so the Philistine army made their way down to the valley. And the Israelites made their way down to the valley. And the fighting took place once again. And it was fierce. And when the dust settled this time, Israel lost again. 
And not only did they lose again, but this time it was worse than last time. Last time, 4,000 people died. But this time, 30,000 soldiers were killed. The people began to cry out and mourn. How, how could we have lost this fight? We did everything right. We had the presence of the ark with us. Why did we lose this fight? Well, here's what I think, beloved, before I move on. You know, it's weird where I started in this sermon. Sometimes we take the presence for granted. Sometimes we think that just because God is present, that victory is always guaranteed. Well, at the same time, yes, but this scene says no. You cannot treat the presence of God like some some good luck charm or some lucky rabbit's foot that somehow if it shows up, you can do anything because God has it and there will be no failure. No, you can't treat God any old way. No, let me change that. You can't treat the relationship any old way that we have with God. They lost the fight and they had the Ark of the Covenant. Why did they lose the fight? How? could they have been defeated by the Philistines? Let me suggest that the defeat took place before the arrival of the ark. They had already lost before the ark showed up. What do you mean? It had nothing to do with their soldiers. It had nothing to do with the ark, but it had everything to do who escorted the ark into the fight. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, when you read the story, you will see that the ark was escorted by Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of the priest Eli. They were priests themselves, and, and Eli sent his sons to take the ark back to the battle, and hopefully Israel would win the battle. But here's the problem. If you go look up on the story of Eli and his two boys, Hophni and Phinehas, you get an insight into possibly why the battle was lost. You see, Hophni and Phinehas were doing two things that were problematic for God. One, when the priests made the sacrifice before God, God had already designated that when the priests made the sacrifice before uh, the people on behalf of the people to God, that the best part of the sacrifice, the best part of the meat would go to the priest. God set that in motion. The best part of the sacrifice would go to the priest. And all God wanted was the fat of the sacrifice, the fat of the meat. Because when it was cooked, you could smell the aroma of the meat through the fat. It was the aroma they believed would let God know that a sacrifice was being made. And so God said, you keep the meat for the priest. Give me the fat and we'll be all right. Here was the problem. Hoffman and Phineas, when they made the sacrifice, they didn't just keep the meat. They kept the fat. They kept the whole sacrifice for themselves under the pretense that they were making the offering to God. That was the one issue. And then the second issue is that Hophni and Phinehas were taking advantage of the women who were serving at the front of the tabernacle of meeting. You'll get that when you get home. Now, well, maybe you're home already and you'll get it. But, but, but they were taking advantage of the women who were serving those in the front of the tabernacle. Two offenses, taking God's portion and taking advantage of those who were serving. And God came to Eli and told Eli, Eli, you need to correct your sons. You need to make sure that they're in order. Eli, 
Eli did nothing. On more than one occasion, God told Eli to chastise his sons and stop them from doing what they were doing. And Eli refused. And one day God came to Eli and said, because you did not listen to me and because you refused to correct your sons, on one day, all three of you will die together. Oh, you got to watch this scene. And so can you imagine these two boys had a death wish from God on their lives. And these two boys were the ones who escorted the ark into the campment. And these two men with a death wish by God were leading the people of Israel into a fight with the Philistines. No wonder they lost. They were being led by people that God said God would already destroy. Here's, can I drop this in your spirit real quick? Be careful who you align yourself with. You have no idea sometimes what those who you connect yourself to are going through, have done their story, their narrative. You can't always gravitate to people that you don't always know. Because here's what I learned a long time ago. If you connect with some of the wrong people, you can compound your problems. When the ark was captured, it came on the heels of the death of Hophni and Phinehas. And again, to add insult to injury, the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant to show Israel that they could control their God. One of the messengers from the tribe of Benjamin escaped the fight and made his way back to Shiloh. When he got to Shiloh to the priest Eli, he sees the young man clothes torn to pieces, disheveled and, and wounded. And the man comes to the priest Eli and says, Eli, I got some bad news for you. He says, your two sons are dead. They lost in the battle. You got to watch this scene. Eli is unmoved. He was just told his sons were killed. No reaction. But then they said, priest, that's not it. The Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. When he heard that the ark had been captured, it said he fell off the seat he was sitting. He couldn't see because he had lost his sight. He falls off the seat backwards and breaks his neck and dies. On the same day, his two sons died. And if that were enough, the, the catch of the ark started what was like a domino effect. Hophni and Phinehas are dead. Then Eli hears that the ark has been captured. He dies. And then one of the boys, one of the sons, Phinehas' wife, who was pregnant, went into labor. When she went into labor, the midwives were there helping her deliver, but her heart was already failing. Instead, she was dying in delivery. Her husband was dead. Her father-in-law was dead. The two pivotal men in her life were now gone and she was dying. And as she delivered the child, it was the midwives who told Phineas's wife, don't fear, at least you gave birth to a son. Somehow they thought that this boy would help redeem her status, but it didn't help. The wife, the mother of this newborn child looked at the midwives and said, name him Ichabod which means the glory of the Lord has departed. Can you imagine she named this boy after what she believed was the departure of God's presence, God's glory, Ichabod. Hophni, dead. Phinehas, dead. Eli, dead. Phinehas' wife, dead. 
And on top of all that, the glory has departed Israel. Well, here's the thing you ought to pay attention to. The Philistines then decide, and this is such a powerful story, the Philistines then decide that they are going to take the ark and put it in the temple of their main god, Dagon. They put the Ark of the Covenant on the same altar with Dagon, one of the gods of the Philistines. You got to see this. And, and they leave it there. When they come back the next day, their god Dagon is on the ground. The people walk in and they, they pick Dagon, their god, up off the ground, the, 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 the sculpture. And, they, and you got to watch this. You'll get this. They, 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 they wipe Dagon off and they, they clean them off. And, and let me stop here for a second. You know what? I can't worship something that I got to take care of. Oh, God, that, that, that you need to get that point today, that, that, that in my life, I've come to a place where I need a God who can take care of me when I'm going through those moments of misery and loneliness. I don't need a God that I got to take care of. They had to clean up their God, put their God back on the altar next to the Ark of the Covenant. They leave and come back the next day. And not only was Dagon on the ground again, but this time his head was cut off. His hands were cut off. The feet were cut Everything was dissembled in this. Why? Because you got to be careful what you handle sometimes. You got to be careful what you touch. Can I put it to you this way? What works for me won't necessarily work for you. The Ark of the Covenant was Israel's covenant, Israel's Ark. And just because you put your hands on it, don't mean you were meant to handle it. But let me go deeper. You better be careful what you try to put on the same level as the God you serve. There are some things that we tend have a tendency to worship and deify and sacralize. And we think it's important because we say, so now be careful what you try to put on the same level as the God you serve. Because if before you know it, they were all false. That was in the city of Ashdod. Their God is dismembered. The people in the city begin to break out with all sorts of sickness and disease. Why? Because they had no business handling what did not belong to them. They were touching something, holding on to something that was not meant for them. I hope somebody understands this today. There are some times in your life where we think we got what we wanted, but we get what we wanted and we find that the thing we wanted wasn't the thing we needed. And more than that, it didn't work the way we wanted it to work because we are busy seeing it work with other people. And I already said it. Just because it worked over here don't mean it's going to work for you. Listen, here's what I learned a long time ago. There's no need for me to be desirous of other people's things or other people's stuff or what other people have. I've learned in my life that as long as you keep on doing what you're called to do, honoring yourself, honoring your life, and honoring your God, you don't have to be envious or jealous of what anybody else possesses. Here's what I learned, and it's real old in our church, but it's true. What God has for you is for you, and what God has for me is for me. And for me to desire what God has for you says that I don't trust that God has something for me. But when I learn to know and understand that if God has something for you, God has something for me, I do not have to be envious of what God has for you. And even if I don't have what God has for me yet and you have what God has for you, I can celebrate what you have because I know I'm next in line for my time and when it comes in my life. I hope you heard that today, beloved. To me, 
the whole idea of jealousy makes no sense. I trust God too much to look at you and desire what you have. No, I celebrate what you have. I celebrate who God has made you. I celebrate your gifts. I celebrate your capabilities. Why? Because the same God that gifted you, the same God that elevated you is the same God who can do the same for me. It's a matter of, do you trust God? Do you believe God for yourself? Oh, let me stop again. Isn't it amazing how easy it is to believe God for other people until you have to believe God for yourself? Isn't it amazing how we can speak words of life into other people, but then grow silent when we have to encourage ourselves? No, no. If there's no one else who can encourage you, it better be you. If there's no one else to help pick you up, it better be you. You have to learn to tap into the internal reservoir that you can begin to now speak those words, celebrate you, honor you, work for you, help you, lift you, and then trust God in the midst of the process. The people of Ashdod, where Dagon was, they said, listen, we can't handle this thing no more. That We can't handle the ark in our city no more. Well, then the people of Gath, which was another Philistine territory, said to the people of Ashdod, send it our way. If y'all not able to handle it, send it to us. They send the ark of the covenant to Gath. And as soon as the ark hit the city of Gath, people started dropping left and right, dying left and right, breaking out in sickness and tumors and sores and death. Why again? Be careful how you handle stuff that ain't got your name on it. Because again, if it don't work, or rather if it worked for them, it won't work for you. It began to wreak havoc on the town of Gath. Well, then the people in Gath who had all the arrogance and said, send it our way, decided to send it away to Ekron. When the people of Gath decided to send the Ark of the Covenant to Ekron, the people of Ekron said, wait a minute, do y'all hate us so much that you would send to us the thing that's destroying y'all? and send it our way. They sent it. What happened? As soon as it hit Ekron, people started dropping left and right, dying. Again, handling things that do not belong to you and don't have your name on it. Don't want things that you see other people with. And again, just because it looked good on them and with them does not mean it will look good on you and with you. I'll be finished in a second, but watch this scene. In Ekron, they didn't decide to have a meeting. The meeting is called by the Philistine leadership. They said, listen, this thing is killing everybody. There's no need for us to hold on to this ark. What we ought to do is send it back where it came from. You got to see this. These are the people who took the ark. When the ark began to wreak havoc on them, they wanted to send it back. They devised a plan. They said, listen, this God is powerful and we don't need to just send it back. We need to send some gifts with the ark on the way back. And they said, let's make some, some gold. It was almost a mockery, but it was real. They said, let's make some, some, some gold ornaments in the shape of some of the tumors that were killing us. This is deep. And they make these gold ornaments and then they decide, watch this, because arrogance is something else. Let me pause for a second. They know they were being defeated, killed because of the ark. And even though they knew they had to get rid of the ark, they couldn't handle the fact that they they were losing to the people they thought they defeated. You're going to get this. And so they tried to set up what they thought was a surefire way to guarantee that it really wasn't the ark doing this to them. Here's what they said. We're going to send the ark back on the cart pulled by a brand new, well, two things, a, 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 a ox that had never pulled anything 
and the ox that was young being nursed by the mother. Watch this. A young ox that never pulled and a young ox whose tendency is to go back towards his mother. They said, we're going to send the ark back with all our gifts, pull on the new cart, buy the fresh ox who had never been yoked, had never been pulled anything, and was too young to even know to go. And here's what they said. And if the cart goes back with that ox, we will know it was God. But if not, it was just coincidence that these things happened. So they loaded the ark up. They put the ark of the covenant on the back of a cart. They got the cat, the ox, the calf, really, and tied it and yoked it to the to the ark. And they sat back and waited because they did not believe it could do it. And that calf pulled that ark on that cart straight back to the people of Israel in the land of Beth Shemesh. That's verse 13 of chapter 6 of Samuel. While the people in Beth Shemesh, the Israelites, were reaping the harvest, they looked on the horizon and saw the Ark of the Covenant making its way back. Now pause for a second. Before I get to that part, let me say this. The Ark of the Covenant was gone. The thing they thought they needed to survive was gone. But when you look at verse 13, something's very interesting. Because they lost what they had, they didn't stop functioning. They kept working, kept harvesting. Although they felt defeated as though nothing had gone right and the ark was gone, they did not die emotionally at the place of the loss. You need to hear that. They were not defined by the loss. The loss happened, but they kept on living and kept on working and kept on striving together. And somebody needs to hear this right now because you're at the place of your last loss and feeling stuck in the pain connected to that loss. You need to know, don't die at the place of your assumed defeat. Don't let that law stop you from moving and stop you from living and stop you from growing. Keep on working and keep on striving. And I know it can feel a little hard at times and a little difficult, but let me tell you something. I learned a long time ago, every defeat ain't final and every defeat don't mean you're defeated. I hope you get that. That in the midst of those defeats, sometimes you have to pick yourself up and get back on the grind and keep on working and realize that it ain't over. That's what they were doing. Ark is gone. They believed the presence of God was gone, but they were still seeking to reap the harvest at harvest time. That's what the text said in verse 13. While they were reaping the harvest, the Ark of the Covenant made its way back. And when the people saw it, they began to rejoice. At what? At the return of the Ark. Now, you may not be connecting dots right now, but that may be because you're not feeling the acute pain because you lost something you thought you would never lose. But I got to let you know this. Sometimes what you thought you lost will find its way back. Oh, God, you don't have to maneuver for it. You don't have to manipulate for it. Sometimes it just finds its way back. I'm not talking about everything. I'm talking about the things that have been covenanted, covenanted for you by God. There's no loss in that moment. They will always find their way back. 
the things that have shaped you, the things that have built you. It might be a season of distance and disconnection, but don't think it is a season of the death of the thing. Maybe, 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 maybe this season is for you to reimagine your life in ways you couldn't because of how you grew dependent on the thing. Remember, Israel had gotten to a point where they took the relationship for granted. Sometimes time and space and distance helps you appreciate the things you have, helps you appreciate what you have. But here's the good news. In those moments, sometimes the thing you thought you would never see again finds its way back into your life. And what will you do when it returns? Verse 13 shows us, rejoice, celebrate, praise God that what you thought you lost found its way back. Israel, it said on that day, began to rejoice. Can you imagine when they saw the ark make its way back? The people began to give God praise because the presence actually had never left. The symbol of the presence was gone. But you can take away the symbol of God all day. You can't take God away. You can't remove the presence of God. Can I tell you, there is actually, and there's some who may have a problem with this, but I don't care because, hey, it's what it is. You can do nothing to get God away from you, no matter how hard you try. God will be there. The truth is, God never left them. God was always there. It was a symbol of God that came back, not God, because God had never left. That's why they could still be productive, could still work, could still grow, could still learn, because God was there. Beloved, there's some of us this morning who know acutely what it is to experience the departure of something we thought would always be there. What this story reminds us is that there are some instances where those things actually find their way back. Now, don't leave here in this morning and say, oh, Pastor Mike said everything coming back. I didn't say that truth is there's some things you think you want back that you surely don't need back in your life there have been moments in my life where i have asked god to bring some stuff back some stuff back and when i realized what i was really asking for and when i began to see the thing that i thought i wanted clearly i said god i thank you for not honoring that request but then there are those moments when pieces of you depart. And then there's those moments where those things return. It's a waste of time to start asking, how did they come back? Why did they come back? Why did this happen? Why am I so blessed? Why am I so fortunate? No, just rejoice at the return. Just celebrate in those moments. Say, God, thank you 
Because just when I thought that my mistake was final, you redeemed it and made it all right again. Rejoice at the return of those things. The things that are part of who you are, the things that are really at the heart that galvanize you, the spaces, the places, and the people. Because there are those moments when you think that you have lost some people because of your choices, your actions, your decisions. I know that some of us watching have experienced that. Because of things we did, we thought that that individual was gone. And then all of a sudden, in the strangest moments, you see the spaces, places, and people start to reconnect in your life again. And sometimes in a season where you can appreciate the thing you had lost, you can put different value on it now. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but somebody needed to hear this. Rejoice when it returns. Because sometimes what you thought you lost will find its way back. Come on, beloved. Let's, let's, let's talk to God. God, thank you. Thank you, God. For this day. God, some of us are like the children of Israel, oh God, devastated because of things we thought we lost. And if we're honest, oh God, some of those things that we thought we lost were connected to things that we did. Sometimes it was poor choices. Sometimes it was words spoken in anger that we cannot take back. Whatever it is, oh God, sometimes we, we may have not even just lost some things. We might have actually pushed some things away out of our anger, our frustration, even our ignorance. But God, this story reminds us that at times, in spite of our poor choices and our misgivings and our fractured relationships, every now and again, those things that are critical to our well-being find their way back into our lives. And when they return, God, our role is not only to rejoice, but be filled with gratitude. So, God, thank you. Because there's some things that are on their way back in our lives right now. There's some things, oh, God, that we don't even realize are coming back into our lives. And this time, oh, God, we will not take it for granted. This time, oh, God, we will not overlook those things. This time, oh, God, we will rejoice at the return of what we thought was lost. God, thank you for this word. Thank you for this scene. Thank you for this story. But more importantly, oh God, thank you for our lives. We love you, God. We honor you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Listen, beloved, thank you for joining us this morning. I pray that something experienced today, something heard, something that was said, spoke to you and blessed you in a powerful way. Most of all, beloved, remember this. Yes, there are some things in life that should should leave and some things that I learned were actually taken away. But there's some things that we lose because of our, our actions. When we trust God and lean into the spirit and learn in those moments, you never know. Sometimes the thing we thought we lost will find its way back. And when it returns, what do you do? Rejoice. Give God praise. 
because it is the dawning in that moment of a new season. Amen. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward.